Slava Isusagastu, Slava Navika. Glory be to Jesus Christ, glory be forever. Father Basil again, doing another podcast. So again, I'm reading from this book, Light for Life, The Mystery Lived, from God With Us Publications. And today we're talking about lifestyles for communion. All Christians live out the same life in Christ, are nourished by the same mysteries, scripture, and tradition, and function as one communion in the Holy Spirit. However, that same life will be lived out slightly differently according to the way of life one chooses and the ministries to which he is invited, the manner in which he or she serves the body. The normal way of life for the Christian is to live in relationship with God and others. Human beings are not individuals, but rather persons, as was mentioned earlier. We are called to live in communion, to become uh, ourselves in relationships, thus mirroring the mystery of the Trinity in whose image we have been created. According to the scripture, the first thing with which God was not pleased in creation was individualism. From Genesis we read, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. Thus, the basic unit of society is the family, not the individual. Marriage is the most usual way for people to experience life in communion. We come into existence and discover our identity as members of a family, of a community, and most people live out their lives in a marital relationship. When the Lord God brought the woman to the man, the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of her man this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one body. And it was to man and woman collaborating together as a unit in their vocation as priests, prophets, and stewards, that their creation was entrusted. The God-given gifts and characteristics of men and women are complementary and mutually necessary for this mission. Again from Genesis. Then God said, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and over all the wild animals and all the creatures that crawl on the ground. God blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that move on the earth. Because of their failure to function together as partners, as a family, as community, the whole plan of creation was frustrated. In Christ, the family was recreated. It was to be based on faith a man and woman joined together in Christ. They would partake of the fruitful, life-giving, redemptive relationship of Christ with his bride, the church, and become images of it. From Ephesians, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and to the church. In being united with, in Christ through the mystery of holy crowning, 
They establish a new domestic church. Their family and household becomes an icon of the mystery of the church. Marriage is actually an ordination to a ministry. It establishes a micro-ecclesia, a miniature church, and anoints the bride and groom to be living witnesses to the faithful and fruitful relationship of Christ to all of us in his church. His bride... For this reason, the hymns that we are that are sung at a marriage are those also used at the ordination of a priest. The couple is crowned. They are set aside officially to their that vocation of stewardship over the creation first entrusted by God as our first parents. This marks the manner in which they will live out their Christian life in the spirit becoming holy as they build up and serve the church and the world as Christian spouses and parents. As we mature spiritually, our appreciation of marriage as communion deepens. The delight of spouses in one another progresses from the carnal to the spiritual. Physical intimacy is not something for its own sake, but an expression of the deeper union that spouses have with one another. We treasure material possessions not so much for their intrinsic value, but because of the communion they represent. Some Christians are invited to our lifestyle that witnesses to the loving, fruitful relationship of Christ with his bride, the church, in a different way, monastic life. In this life, the monastic is set aside to witness to the longing of the bride, the church, for her bridegroom, Christ, is to come again in glory. It is a witnessing to fidelity and watchfulness for the coming of the bridegroom. All Christians are called to witness to the world the mystery of Christ. Monastics are called in a special way to witness to the members of the church, to serve as living constant reminders to all Christians of the radicalness of everyone's call to repentance in the kingdom. Eastern monasticism, therefore, is what John Paul II has called a symbolic synthesis of Christianity. All Christians must repent and seek the values of the kingdom that is to come. However, most do it while in the world, yet not, not all of it. Monastics renounce attachment to the world and attempt to live out the full reality of repentance and the life of the kingdom in its fullness here and now. Thus the essential practice of monastic life are prayer, ascetic effort, and charity, the same fundamental principles which all Christians are called to live by. By the intensity of their commitment to this way of life, monastics become, again in the words of John Paul II, a reference point for all of the baptized, in this way, they constantly remind their brothers and sisters not to become too comfortable in this world and not to forget the vigilance and longing for the fullness of the kingdom which is to come, the beginnings of which are already, we already experience in our Christian life and especially in the mysteries of the church as the church gathers. For this reason, the monastics live lives of chaste celibacy and strict repentance, constantly turning to the bridegroom and everything. 
in the church, there are only two consecrated lifestyles, both dedicated to communion. That is sacramental marriage and dedicated celibacy in Christ. Both witness to Christ and his kingdom. Both serve God and the world. Both are oriented to express the community nature of the church. What then are those who are neither married nor preparing for marriage or profess monastics? Their ways of life are blessed insofar as they share in the communal dimension of life. Unmarried clerics and members of lay brotherhoods and sisterhoods relate to others in their service to the church. Many single lay people living in the world are in fact committed to serving others as well, either in their extended family or as volunteers in community activities. No matter what my state of life, no matter what kind of vocation I pursue, uh, in everything I do, I must make sure that I am witnessing to Christ. On the other hand, if I turn inward as so as to live only for myself, I am diminishing my own humanity rather than fulfilling it. So, in this passage we just read, we are talking about... Um, how we live in community. We were made to live for one another. We were not made to live for ourselves only. So I think this is important to remember in this life. You know, we, we do things in order to help one another in this world. We don't do things just to gain advantage over others. We shouldn't do things just for selfish purposes. We do things to live a life of holiness, to live a life of communion, to live a life of uh, you know, helping one another gain the heavenly kingdom. God bless you. Have a good day.